support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Chris Carl Photography Podcast. start off with how it is that you became a photographer in the first place what is it that made you want to pick up a camera um so for me it started uh back in like my teenage years uh i was a skateboarder um you know big uh musician playing in punk bands and stuff like that and uh you know all of my all of my favorite photographers were like all skate photographers, pretty much. Um, you know, flipping through magazines like Thrasher and uh, the Skateboard Mag, stuff like that. Um, seeing uh, work by like Joe Brooke and uh, Grant Britton. Um, that was all, I don't know. I felt like I was always a little more interested in the, uh, the images in the magazine. Like I was never good at skateboarding. Um, <laughs> I'm still not, right. <laughs> but that definitely made me, uh, you know, uh, I guess just really interested in the whole act of photography and, uh, I guess the storytelling behind it. Like, uh, right. my, my favorite, my favorite things were always, uh, the tour articles with, uh, with all of the like behind the scenes photos and stuff, you know, the, the whole van life and everything. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But, uh, it really, it really wasn't until about, I guess like three, three or four years ago now. So <laughs> about 20 years later <laughs> that, wow. uh, that I really, that I really started getting into photography. Um, I was just like, I, I come from a like super super poor background. Um, you know, we we never had a whole lot. And when I was like, I guess initially into photography and stuff, it's like I just I never had a means to get a camera. Um, okay, I, I did back. God, it's back in like my early twenties. I was playing in a punk band, and we were we were touring around the country a good bit. And I bought this. Um, just absolutely horrible, like early two thousands, just like digital point and shoot. I can't remember. I want to say it was like a Sony or something. <laughs> and right. I would, uh, I would use that to take photos like while we were on the road and like, the, you know, playing shows and stuff. And that was always fun, but I never, I never really stuck with it. It just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, the point and shoot, I guess just wasn't really enough for me and it never really, just never keep like kept me interested, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, about, about three, three or four years ago, I can't remember what it was. Um, we, we had, we had been living in Georgia and we moved back home. I didn't have a job. I was a uh, kind of struggling. Um, I was still playing a lot of music at the time, but I was just trying to find, you know, like a day job. And, uh, a buddy of mine had recently bought one of our favorite bars in town. And he was looking for someone to help him out with a, like running social media and stuff. Cause he knew I'd been doing that for myself and my music for a while. So, uh, he gave me like a Canon, I think it was a rebel, um, like T2I, I think it was. Right. And he just gave me that and was like, here, take some good pictures for me. And you know, like that's your job now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, luckily, um, luckily he did that. Cause that, um, you know, it's like looking back on it, that, that small, like little, little gesture of him, uh, you know, showing good faith, like 
totally changed my like trajectory and life, which is really funny to think about. <laughs> and then from there, you, um, you've moved into film. So what was it that made you pick up a film camera? Yeah. So uh, a few months after he had given me that camera, uh, I was in the shop that I now work at. Uh, I was in there buying a, like a new lens or something. And they had a, God, um, I think it was like the Lomography Diana um, camera. Yeah. And they were, all, yeah, they had like a little special going on. And it was a, it was like if you bought the camera, you got like four free rolls of a like medium format film to go with it. So essentially, you were paying for the film and getting the little cheap toy camera for free. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what I was doing, but that that offer intrigued me. Um, one of my friends who was working there at the time like talked me into it, and yeah, so I bought that and went out. I shot a roll of God, I think it was an Ektar one hundred. And it came back, somehow it came back blank. <laughs> Although wow. I, to this day, I can't fathom how you could have a blank roll with a Diana because everything is just so, I mean, not automated, but I mean, you know, there's no settings or anything to mess with. So I, I, I have no idea what I did wrong. <laughs> <But> <laughs> <laughs> it, it came out blank. And I remember going to the, like going into the shop to pick up my negatives and, they told me you know, that it was blank and it was almost this um, like instantaneous, just, you know, like there was a challenge there and I yes, was, yeah. I was I, I, like, I was determined to like, all right, I'm going to do another role and I'm going to get it right this time. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I've seen with your, one of the things I've seen with your Instagram feed is, is you've spoken before, I think a little bit about sort of building bonds with cameras and your love of particular cameras. Um, what are your favorite film cameras? My, my favorites that I've owned over the past few years, um, there's certainly been a lot, but there's been quite a few that have stuck with me. Um, like my favorite SLR of all time, and I will argue this until I go to my grave, is the Canon A1. Uh, I absolutely love that camera. Um, I've owned a few of them over the years. <laughs> uh, I tend to, I, I always say I'll never sell it when I buy another one, but I'm sure we all know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I love I love like most of the Canon SLRs, but there's there's just something about the A1 that I like. It just feels good in my hand. Um, I'm very familiar with it, so it's quick and easy for me to use. And uh, then I was fortunate enough to come across a Leica M3, and wow. I yeah, I <laughs> I always feel bad when I tell the story because those I mean it's a Leica, you know. There's there's so much of this built up around them. They're so expensive. I was practically given this camera by an old man who uh, has been coming to the shop that I worked at for years. And he was, he was losing his eyesight. Uh, he was wanting to sell it to the shop for us to like resell, you know, cause we do all the like used gear and everything. And the owner of the shop told him that he couldn't afford to buy it from him because yeah, he, he he said he told him that the only person that he knew that would buy it back from him was me, and he right, knew that right. I didn't have the. He he knew that I didn't have the money for it, <laughs> and uh, 
the guy like seriously just looked at me and uh, he asked me if I would use it. I said, yeah. And he just handed it over to me. <laughs> wow. I, I gave him, yeah, I gave him like what money I had in my wallet for that camera, which I think was about 120 bucks or something. <laughs> Deal of the century. Yeah. Yeah. I just, to this day, I can't believe it happened, but uh, I shot with that camera for about a year. And I think in that year, I put like 160 rolls through it. Um, that was definitely uh, my like favorite 35 millimeter camera. Um, absolutely loved it. Uh, I, I totally, I, I understand the lack of hype after I got my hands on one, I guess you could say. <laughs> Especially at that price. Oh, well, God, yeah. Like, uh, I felt bad. Um, I, I ended up selling it because we were having some car issues and needed the money to repair the car. And I ended up selling it and I felt so bad. I sold it at a super low price because I just could not bring myself to charge what they normally go for, you know, just like knowing what I had paid for it. Right. You were like paying it forward. Yeah. I was at, like the guy that bought it. I think I saw cause it was, a, it had the Sumicron 50, and I think I sold it for like fourteen hundred bucks or something. And uh, yeah, the guy that was buying it off of me was just you know kept asking me if there was anything wrong with it and like all these questions. I was like, <laughs> man, like I was like, I promise you, it works flawlessly. <laughs> like I was like, I feel bad charging you this much for it, but <laughs> oh, but yeah, that was a uh, definitely uh, the deal of the century. Um, and then I think pretty sure everyone knows that I'm quite fond of the Mamiya RB67. Um, I love that whole system. I've been using that for quite a while now. I actually, actually just sold it. Um, I never thought I would do that, but kind of, kind of got the itch to just, uh, you know, switch it up a little bit. And, uh, I traded out the RB67 for the Mamiya C330 just to uh, switch it up and shoot some square format for a little while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I love, absolutely love the RB67 system. I love like pretty much all of the Mamiya medium format cameras. Um, they can do no wrong by me. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like film stocks, one of the things, because I'm very new to film myself, I've been shooting... Um, professionally for a long time but as far as um, with film it's very recent and um, what are the factors that go into which film stocks you pick like what are the reasons that you go for certain film stocks um i mean essentially it just boils down to you know like what like what look i'm going for um i'm a, I'm a fairly ocd person so I, I tend to really you know i, I, I like to have somewhat of a uniform look to my images. Um, I tend to stick to a lot of the same film stocks uh, up until up until I started the YouTube channel. I was pretty much like I shot the same few film stocks all the time. Um, and once I once I started the YouTube channel, that kind of made me want to like you know branch out a little bit and experiment with some stuff because nobody wants to watch you know, me walk around every week with my RB67 shooting Portrait 400. <laughs> well, I'm glad you've mentioned the YouTube channel. Um, what's the what's the challenge in 
making content for YouTube compared to just being a photographer? Because obviously you've got to add in the sort of behind the scenes and the conclusion of your video. Is it something that you think helps your photography? Uh, honestly, yeah. I, uh, I was always um, like super overwhelmed by the idea of doing a YouTube channel. Uh, just uh, the whole like video editing and, uh, you know, just like videoing, filming, doing all that just seemed super overwhelming. But I've actually found... I've actually found it to be quite nice and uh, almost like encouraging really for me to get out and shoot like, you know, on, on weeks that I'm, you know, pretty busy and I may not have the time to uh, you know, go out and take a little photo walk for myself. Uh, it's, it kind of gives me that excuse to where I can put aside a few hours for myself at least once every week um, to go out and, you know, film some stuff for the channel. And I, it's like, that is not the result that I expected from starting a YouTube channel. I really thought it would uh, add a lot of uh, frustrations and uh, right. yeah, just a, like, I, I thought it was going to be way more of a pain in the ass than it really has been. Um, I don't, I don't put a lot of production into my videos. Um, <laughs> it's mainly, I, I pretty much just cut and clip them and like throw it up there. Uh, in the order that I film it, you know, I, I don't do a whole lot of crazy editing. Um, if I'm honest, I mean, I watch a lot of, I watch a lot of photography stuff on YouTube and to be honest with you, there's an awful lot of sort of B-roll fluff. That's, there's not a lot of content or a lot of substance to what's in the video. There's a lot of people that just put out flashy B-roll and they just have to get past yeah. the monetization line. So it's nice to see someone just talk about photography and it not be like almost the art of distraction as opposed to actually putting together a video that people will get something from. Yeah, yeah I definitely appreciate that. Um, I was, I was talking to my buddy, um, Jesse, not too long ago, uh, um, Jesse Joseph, uh, he has an awesome YouTube channel and his, like his video skills are just phenomenal. He has probably like the best B roll stuff I've ever seen. <laughs> right. And like, yeah, we were just talking about that just coming from like the opposite ends. Cause I put zero effort into like B roll or anything. I'm just, uh, yeah, it's a, when I find a shot I want to take, I'll pull out, you know, I'll pull out the GoPro and I'll film some, you know, film some clips and, you know, mainly just me taking the shot and stuff. Um, luckily, I have a wonderful, uh, wonderful and um, patient fiance who is normally willing to help if she's not at work. <laughs> nice. Let's talk about your reasons for starting um, a YouTube channel. What was it that you were trying to achieve by starting it in the first place? Honestly, I, I don't know. I was just, um, I was always intrigued by it, you know, because uh, like as soon as I started really getting into film and everything, of course, I was doing like everyone else and, you know, using YouTube as my favorite search engine. And, you know, I was, I was finding the channels by like Matt Day and um, Nick Mayo, who used to put out some really good stuff. And I know there was always just something somewhat intriguing about it to me. I, I don't quite know what it was, but there there was definitely a a sort of drive to kind of represent the area that I'm in. Um because I was noticing a lot of, you know, the videos and I was seeing a lot of the channels that I were find like was finding. You know, they were all in New York, California, you know, just that, like bigger cities and, you know, bigger areas. And I am from, um, 
rather small city and the upstate of South Carolina, like we're right at the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I just didn't really see that area being represented on YouTube, like as I would have liked to have seen it represented, you know, and I say about maybe six months or so before I really decided to start the channel is when I started seeing um, videos uh, come along from um, Corey Wolfenbarger. And like, yeah. he's from Knoxville, which is about three hours away from me. Uh, just like, up, yeah, like up past the Smoky Mountains and everything. So once I saw him like start doing it and just kind of showing more of like a scenery that I'm used to seeing, uh, that was a, that was a little encouraging for me to, you know, like start my own channel, like seeing how well his was doing. And, uh, cause it was, um, I definitely, I really thought no one would be interested in it, you know, because like, like I said, I'm, I'm in a small town. I'm not in a big, you know, exciting city right. or anything like that. So uh, I really, like, really didn't think many people would, you know, tune in or like really care. <laughs> so it's been, it's been nice, like seeing, seeing the channel grow and, um, yeah, seeing people like chime in, you know, like every week I post a video I've got about, and it's probably like 10 or 11 people who every week when I post a video, you know, like I had, I have a rather good conversation with these, you know, few people who tune in and watch like watch the new video every week. And it always leads to some pretty nice dialogue, which is always fun. One of the things I've noticed with YouTube, um, and maybe not necessarily the film side, but the photography in general, is that there are quite a few people that start a YouTube channel to become something of like an authoritative voice on photography, whether that be like in in particular cameras or in editing or or the genre that they shoot. Is it something you have an interest in, in becoming kind of like a, a spokesman or an authority on any part of photography? Oh God, no! I am a, <laughs> I am the first to tell you that I don't know shit. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm constant, and that's why I love film photography in general, like just so much, is because I feel like, you know, I'm constantly learning things. Um, people all the time think that because I run, um, so my my day job is running film for the uh, shop that I work at. I, I run the film lab, and people always you know, they come to me with these questions and like, they, they think that I know way more than I do. <laughs> it's it's uh, like, I, I feel like every day I'm just learning new stuff. You know, I would, um, I would right. never say that like I have any, <laughs> any uh, authority and, you know, yeah, just knowing anything. Um, and that's, that's one thing that I really like about doing the YouTube channel is I feel like, um, you know, when I'm trying new film stocks or, uh, if I try out a new camera or something, it's, um, I feel like it's fun for me to show people that, you know, it's like, it's okay to not necessarily know what you're doing. Um, it's it's all kind of, it's all kind of, um, you know, an experiment. And I feel, I don't know. I feel feel like I do a somewhat decent job of, you know, like it's okay to mess up sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what I'm talking about half the time, you know. <laughs> well, I, I think that's something that's quite wrong with 
with sort of a lot of things on YouTube and quite a few different voices that are in photography in the sense that there are people that want to seem an authority on something. And in doing that, they actually put off a lot of people because they always show themselves to be correct and right and they don't show their mistakes. And that actually just tends to scare people off more than it actually encourages people. Whereas the ability to see like people working through a process or making mistakes or learning from them, that's actually what encourages other people to get more involved. And and I just think it's generally more interesting. Yeah, like I agree with you. Um, I think uh, like speaking of um, like Matt Matt Day again. Uh, I remember when I first got my RB67. You know, I was looking on YouTube for videos about the RB67 because when you first get that system, it is a pretty intimidating system. There's there's a lot going on with it, and I found I'm pretty sure it was I'm pretty sure it was by him, but it was a video of him talking about like shooting an entirely blank role with that camera because he for or he didn't realize that you were supposed to there's a switch for the mirror up option and Uh, he didn't realize when he like when he got it that that was on so he went i think they were on like a family vacation or something and he shot an entire role on the beach and it was just blank (laughs) and it was it was that kind of oh god yeah but it's you know it's like that kind of honesty that i just like I really appreciate and you know, it's a, it may be one of my biggest faults. Uh, I tend to be a little too honest sometimes. <laughs> Let's talk about your photography for a little bit. How did you come about finding your style? Um, and what do you sort of describe your style as? Um, oh God, that's always such a, such a hard question to answer. <laughs> it's a horribly broad question, right? But it really is like coming from music too, you know, it's um like trying to, uh, trying to write your own bio is just a, it's like a nightmare for everybody. I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. And like, I don't, I don't think I would even say I've, I've really found a style yet. Like I, I feel like uh, I'm one of those people that just like, I keep a camera on me at all times. And uh, I really, I really just shoot anything and everything that catches my eye. Um, I know for a while people were really kind of associating me with the like rural, um, I guess you would say like Americana kind of style. And uh, that's not something I really like planned, you know, like I I didn't really set out like I'm going to go shoot this rusty old car that's got a tree growing through it or something. Uh, but that's that's really just what is around me. Uh, like I said, I live in a rather rather small city, uh, and then once you get out of the city, it's all just old um, country and like mill villages and stuff um, that are just left over and really uh, run down from when most of the like cotton mills and everything like that closed in the eighties, mm-hmm. and. Uh, like that's um it's definitely like I, I grew up in a town called Packlet, South Carolina, which is a pretty much desolate little mill town now. Um the mills closed down in like the late eighties and the town really just hasn't changed much since then. Right. So I think uh, you know, a, a lot of my music that I used to do and everything was uh heavily influenced by that and uh you know, I, I tend to, I would write a lot about that kind of lifestyle and everything. And 
I think once I picked up the camera, you know, it's a, those are the things that really just not even caught my eye, but that's just the things that I recognize, you know, Um, it's kind it's kind of the, the visual interpretation of what you're seeing every day. Yeah, that's a, that's a way better, that's a better way to put it. <laughs> it just always sounds better in an English accent, but it's, it's, I'm not smart. Please don't confuse me with being even remotely smart. I haven't even got a good English accent. <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of them to compare to. So, you know, to me, you sound like a genius. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. We don't ever talk to another British person and I'll sound great. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Sorry. I have a... I have a tendency to ramble. No, no, you're absolutely fine. I, if I could just ask you though, are you planning what you're going out to shoot? Like, is it is it a case that you see something on like your travels or whatever, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to go out on this day and I'm going to go and capture that, you know, whatever that may be. Or is it something where you like pick your camera up, you pick up some film and you just pick a place and you walk? Most of the time it's the latter. Um, I just, you know, I'll grab a camera, I'll drive somewhere or I'll, I'll walk somewhere. Um, here, here lately though, um, I've just been somehow staying super busy during all of this COVID stuff. Um, I, I don't know what's been going on, but I have been staying super busy. I'm working a ton. And so I've, I've tried to be better about actually, you know, um, making notes as I'm driving around, uh, you know, looking at things, um, kind of studying the light a little bit. Mm-hmm. And actually, actually making plans to go out and you know get certain images at a certain time of day and everything. Um, I've been trying to be a whole lot better about that. I guess just more conscious of what I'm shooting than just walking around and you know aimlessly, uh, which I absolutely love doing. But there's just I don't know. There's something about you know making a plan, you know, knowing what time you're going to get there. Uh, you know, studying it beforehand to see how the light's falling on it and everything. Uh, there's just something like so rewarding about that when you get the image. Are you um are you a hunter? Or are you more of a do you more like you know fish for shots? Do you tend to plant yourself and wait? Uh, most of the time, it's a uh, kind of like get the shot and move on. Um, it really depends on I guess like what I'm shooting. You know, if I'm out trying to do more. Uh, I guess more like street style, like documentary stuff. I will tend to, you know, find a good spot and I'll stick it out there for a little while, you know, and take, take quite a few shots of the whole like scene as it's changing and everything just to try and get the photo. Um, but yeah, most of the like landscape stuff and like city, cityscape stuff or whatever you want to call it. Like most of that is just, yeah, kind of like run and gun almost. <laughs> When you're on, when you're out and about, obviously with film, you're limited in terms of switching between rolls of film on, on most scenarios, unless you've got multiple backs for a camera and whatnot. What's a mono scene and what's a color scene? What, you know, how do you, how do you decide whether you're going to go black and white or color? I really, I, so I used to shoot a lot of black and white, uh, here recently I haven't been, I tend to only use black and white for certain things like, uh, I, re- I really love portraits on like black and white film. Uh, I, up until recently, I hardly ever shot any portraits in color. Uh, I just, there's something about that like timeless look that black and white gives. And uh, really just like 
documentary kind of style stuff and like concert photography, I tend to always do in black and white. Um, other than that, I pretty much over the past like a year and a half or so, I really shoot the majority of my work in color. Uh, every now and then I'll get a, you know, get a wild hair and load up some black and white and walk around and shoot. But, uh, I really don't do it as much as I used to. Uh, I kind of, I kind of need to do that a little more often. Um, I actually just bought a good bit of HP five and 35 millimeters. So, uh, I'll probably be shooting a little more black and white here. Perfect. That's good. I'm a, I'm a big fan of black and white, so I'm always happy to hear that. If you don't mind, um, I would quite like to talk about the, not specifically, obviously, for this to become in any way political, because I'd rather just talk about the photography side of things, um, but the protests that you've been photographing. Um, there's a couple of things that I'm quite interested by in terms of behavioral things with photographers. I've noticed there's been a, a lot of photographers shooting film with the protests. And I was curious if it was just that it's a lot of film photographers that are actually the ones that are going out and photographing them, or if you think it's people that are specifically choosing to use film for the protests and why that would be. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's actually funny that you say that because with all of the protests that I've been going to and shooting, I've actually shot way more digital than I have in like the past few years. <laughs> I have been, I've, I've actually been utilizing my digital camera and, uh, I'll like, I'll, I'll have my, uh, like my rangefinder with me and I'll normally shoot like a roll while I'm out, but I've actually been shooting most of it in black and white just because it gives me that freedom, you know, to, uh, okay. And, you know, to like not miss a moment if I'm having to like change a roll of film, you know, it's a, yeah. I've, I've kind of found I've, I've found myself going there, and I will I'll use my film camera at first, and I'll shoot. And when that roll when that roll's done, I'll pretty much just shoot nothing but digital because I don't want to miss miss anything while I'm you know reloading my film or something. Um, okay. But I I also think when it comes like when it comes to that documentary style, I feel like people really kind of relate that to film photography, you know, uh, yeah. for that. There's just something about it that I feel as far as an image goes, I, I feel like really adds to it. Um, I don't necessarily know why that is. I had a weird theory because I come from, I come from a portraiture background and a digital background. And, um, Obviously, I, th I think we've hit like peak stupidity when it comes to um, the retouching on the digital side with like fashion images. I think we're getting almost to the point of absurdity. And I feel like maybe there's people that feel like it's more honest to shoot in film because I guess in theory, it would be harder to manipulate. I, obviously, it isn't. But I feel like that's maybe what people are seeing is that film is more of an honest sort of like one off documentation, whereas digital is something that can be rehashed, I guess. Yeah, that's actually that's that's a really good point, actually. So, with with the protests, how how is your mindset in terms of following the action? I mean, obviously, not in terms of your what what you're doing, but in terms of what you're capturing. How do you know what you want to capture when you're there? So, I I, I had a big like contradiction just just like with myself. Um, before I decided to actually start photographing the protest. Um, because when it boils down to it, I, I'm there like first and foremost 
as a protester, you know, it's like, I, I am there to help. I'm there to like do whatever I can to, um, you know, help out these people who are, you know, who are there and have every right. I feel to like be upset. And obviously as, you know, like a, a white man in my like mid thirties, uh, I mean, I haven't had an easy life by any means, but I, I fully understand, you know, like my privilege and like all of that, um, not to get super political or anything, but I, I had a super, super big conflict. I, I didn't know if I actually wanted to photograph these protests because I didn't know if it was really my place to. Um, but as I said, I, I live in a very, you know, like fairly small area and there I noticed at the first protest that I went to um, when things really started getting heated, uh, I took my cameras with me, but I, I didn't know if I was going to use them. And, and I noticed while I was out there that there there weren't a whole lot of people um, really documenting what was going on uh, outside of a few, you know, like a few friends I saw who are, well, not my friends, but like just few people I saw who were, you know, taking pictures of their friends at the protest. Um, right. You know, right. they were, they were, they were kind of focused on their friends and not the whole, the whole scene and just like everything that was actually going on. So, uh, I, I kind of like cautiously pulled out my camera cause I like, I didn't want it to seem like I was there to, you know, take advantage of the situation. Um, you know, just to try and get a, a cool photo. Um, but, yeah, I made it. Uh, like I was talking to people. Uh, we were out there for about ten hours this day, and I just had my camera on me. And if anyone, you know, were, was a little wary, or you know, they they didn't want me to take a photo with them in it, um, you know, I, I was listening to that, and I was just being as respectful as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And I actually. It was uh, it was kind of funny because I got a, re- a response that I really didn't feel like I would get, and at the like end of it, you know, or like even during it, I had people who were, you know, they they were asking me what I was going to do with the photos or uh, where I was going to put them, if I was going to put them up anywhere. And, uh, I, I was really, I had no plans to post any of them, um, but I had. I was encouraged by a lot of people to like post them so that they could find them on Facebook or whatever. And being in like being in the area that I'm in, I didn't feel like I was, uh, you know, putting anyone in danger by sharing the photos because being in this small area, you know, it's like pretty much we all kind of know each other anyways, you know, uh, there's, there's no hiding. (laughs) Um, but also it's, you know, you, you see, you know, like what you see on TV and all that is like, you're seeing the, obviously they're going to show you the most violent or the most, uh, entertaining scenes, you know, that they can. And what I was witnessing was, you know, like a complete opposite of uh, what I was seeing, um, from, you know, photographer friends and everyone in like bigger cities and stuff like this, you know, around, around here, there's, there's been no, no real like violence um, from the protesters or anything. It's, it's all been, 
extremely peaceful. Uh, there's been a lot of, there have been quite a few instances of like some outside agitators and uh, that's all been dealt with rather quickly by, uh, by like the cops and everything. Uh, a lot of the protests that I've gone to, like the, the cops have been, you know, highly respect, like highly respectful of the protesters. Um, and I really just felt like that was a, you know, something that wasn't being shown a lot. Uh, and I was driving around to uh, a lot of the smaller cities, like outside of Spartanburg, um, like at Calpin, South Carolina, Shelby, North Carolina, Gaffney, South Carolina, just all these small towns um, where if you would have asked me 20 years ago, would I see any sort of protest for racial equality, I would have laughed in your face <laughs> because these are just inherently um, known areas to where I don't, like, I'm not going to say like racist areas, but um, just not areas to where you would think you would see a black lives matter protest being held. Um, right. You know, these are, these are small towns uh, in, in the South <laughs> um, that are stereotypically um, not very progressive. Right. Yeah, to see even, you know, 40 people showing up. Uh, I, I think the smallest one I've gone to has been in Edmond, South Carolina. And to see even, you know, like 40 or 50 people show up in that little town in support of, you know, what's going on recently has been just incredible. Uh, and I'm, I'm super happy that I was there to, you know, get a few images and uh, because there was, outside of you know people pulling out their cell phones and taking a few pictures there was no one else there to capture that moment and i like i think that i don't know you know i'm not saying i got any good photos that day um one of the one of the great things that's going on right now in terms of transparency is the fact that there are so many cameras and so many people out there taking pictures and there's so much of a democratized audience for those pictures that you can actually truly get the perspective of multiple different angles of anything that does happen. So for example, like I could look at the photos that you took and whilst they tell me one story, there could be another person that takes pictures from a completely different perspective and it tells another story. And I think that's one of the really interesting things in, in a bit of a bubble here that you can, you can see things from multiple angles and multiple perspectives. And you certainly start to see like the voice of the um, the photographer in their perspective. And, and that's been like in a sort of a psychoanalytical sense, it's been very interesting. There has actually been some incidents in the UK of um, photographers being attacked at certain protests. One in particular that made quite big headlines over here. Was there any concern on your part that, you know, that was going to be something you might run into? Um, not being in, not being where I am. Um, if I would have gone to do like some of the bigger cities around me, then yeah, maybe. Um, I heard, I heard some like horror stories from friends in Atlanta and friends in Charlotte, uh, about, um, about police in general, um, attacking journalists and yeah, like the media and pretty much anyone with a camera. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm from a very small area where we all, 
pretty much know each other. Um, and there hasn't, none, none of the protests I've gone to have really had any, um, like nothing's really escalated um, to any sort of aggressive behavior at all, except for a few outside agitators who, you know, start started a little bit of conflict, but even those have been extremely minimal. Um, okay. You know, there's, there's been people that have driven by and, you know, maybe like maybe honked their horns and, you know, maybe said something offensive, but that's pretty much the extent of it. Um, if we move back towards your work a little bit here, you have uh, a couple of, I, I don't want to say that they're side projects. I don't really want to frame them at all. I'll let you kind of take it away here, but sidewalks and window panes. Tell us about that. Um, so that was, that was a zine that I put out, God, almost, almost a year ago now. Um, and it's still kind of an ongoing thing. Uh, I decided to put it out as a volume one. And it was just, we were, we were moving out of the neighborhood that we had been living in for the past few years. And, you know, it just kind of made me start feeling a little, a little nostalgic. Um, I knew we were going to be moving and I was just sitting at my computer and going through all of these photos. And I realized that pretty much like almost every day I would walk around the neighborhood at about the same time. And I would normally go through a roll of film. Mm-hmm. So I just had all of these, like so many, so many photos um, from the neighborhood that we were living in. And uh, it's actually uh, like a historical neighborhood here in town. And I had lived in it quite a few times over like the past decade. And it's changed a lot with, a uh, you know, with a lot of gentrification going on and about... Uh, when we first moved into the neighborhood, there were there was a lot of gentrification going on. Um, you know, a lot of investors moving in, um, fixing up all these houses and trying to flip them or rent them out at a, like absurdly high rates. Right. And I, I don't know. I just uh, like I sat down and I started looking at like all these photos, and I kind of started playing around with the idea of putting them all together somehow, and. Uh, uh, yeah, I just kind of sequenced them all. I, I liked uh, I liked what I was seeing, so I decided to put it out. Um, I really did not think anyone else would care, except for you know a few people in town. And uh, to my surprise, I think maybe three people in Spartanburg bought a copy, <laughs> and they all went. God, I sounded like I sold them so many international copies of it. I thought it like it, it was insane to me. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Well, I think there's a there's a big interest internationally in that kind of um, Americana aspect to especially film photography. Um, if you don't mind me just quickly switching as well to After the Storm. Okay, yeah. Uh, so After the Storm, that was a that was a very very unplanned um, project um, at all. Uh, we have been having some insane weather in South Carolina this year or well over the past few years really um I guess climate change or whatever but we like we had a tornado come through on February 6th and it was like the scariest thing I've ever witnessed in my entire life like we've 
I'd, I've been living here. I mean, I've traveled a lot, but I've pretty much lived here my entire life. And to see a tornado come through was mind blowing. Um, I think we've had one other tornado touchdown in my like 33 years. Um, wow. But this, yeah, this one uh, came through. It's not a common thing here. <laughs> it, it touched down and it pretty much ran about 10 miles through the city, um, almost just following Main Street. Uh, luckily, it didn't really uh, hit or hurt the downtown area too much. Um, but yeah, it did. Uh, I want to say they... I think it was like $2.5 million in damage in about 30 minutes. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, I just, I had never witnessed anything like that. And I was, I was actually at work just outside of downtown when it touched down and you know, we were, we were all just like hiding in the back and I, we closed after that because we were out of power and everything. And the storm had passed over. It actually, so it actually started snowing like oh after God. the tornado. Yeah. It, it was like, it was warm and humid and we had a tornado and then like six hours later it started snowing. <laughs> That's crazy. It was, it was some of the craziest stuff I've ever seen. Um, if you actually look at the images, um, if you look at them big, like on a computer screen or, uh, if it was like someone who bought a print, uh, you'll notice there's a sort of softness to the images and it's because it was snowing while I was taking these images. Like it wasn't snowing hard, but it was snowing like enough to give this kind of haze to everything. Right. Yeah. I pretty much just did that series. Uh, I spent all weekend just shooting, um, stuck with a Ektar 100 because I I wanted to have a cohesive, just a, very uniform look to the images and I just put the series together and did a little show to, um, you know, hopefully sell some prints and stuff like that to raise money to donate to, um, the relief fund and stuff like that. Cause there were a lot of people that got misplaced and, uh, you know, were like, didn't have anywhere to live for a couple of months. Um, I think people are, there's a, there's a lot of people who are like just now starting to like move back into their homes Wow, that's terrible. Yeah, it was it? It was pretty crazy, man. Um, <laughs> see, seeing two airstreams like on their side and on top of you know like one another was uh, like pretty mind blowing to me. <laughs> well, it brings me on to um, those two collections of your personal work. It brings me on to something that I'm I'm definitely learning more and more about as we go. And um, the film community seems to have a real strong. Um, affiliation with zines and people putting out zines. I'm just curious, um, what is it that that drives you to put out zines? Um, for me, it's uh, like coming from um, like the punk scene and stuff in my teens and like in my twenties, like playing in bands and everything. We would uh, that's something that we you know, like did in the punk scene like quite a bit was you know, make zines because you couldn't really. You know, it was hard to get your music out there or get whatever, you know, a lot of kids were doing like their own clothing companies and stuff like that. And, you know, it was hard getting it out there um, outside of your little circle of friends, you know. Right. And I really like the DIY ethic behind it, of um, you know, just cutting out the middleman and 
yeah, just putting it together and putting it out there. And it's, it's always a risk, but I think it's a uh, pretty fun. Like, uh, I just really encourage people to print their work. Uh, you know, it's just, you're out there and you're making all of these images and, you know, you can look at them on your phone screen or on your laptop or whatever all day, but there's just, there's something about seeing, you know, a physical copy, um, especially like in a, you know, book kind of form. Yeah. That like, I, I really think people just tend to appreciate a little more, uh, like I, I have a pretty big collection of photo books and zines and stuff. Uh, I try to buy pretty much anytime I see a photographer releasing a zine. Um, if I have the spare money at the time, you know, I'll buy a copy and I, I tend to go back and look through. Uh, oh God, sorry. <laughs> um, I tend, yeah, I tend to go back and look through those quite a bit. Actually, um, I keep them on my like work desk, you know, and if I'm having a hard time with, you know, a, a series or, a you know, stuck in a rut or something like that. Uh, there's just something so nice about having that physical collection of being able to flip through a page. You know, it's a, I kind of equate it to like vinyl, you know, um, yeah, yeah. of course you can listen to, you can listen to the same record on your phone or, you know, on your computer, but there's just something so cool and so special about, you know, putting on the vinyl, putting on your headphones and just like sitting on the floor and actually listening to a record. Yeah. Let's talk about you as a photographer. What is it that makes you want to keep taking pictures perhaps when it's not, you know, you're not feeling it. What is it that makes you still pick up the camera? Um, I've, so I've actually been going through somewhat of a rut here lately. Like I've, I've just been, I feel like I just kind of hit a wall for a little while. And I've, I've always just been one of those people that kind of like works through it. You know, um, I just mm-hmm. try not to stop. Cause I like personally, I know how I am. And like, if I stop, then it, you know, there's a good chance that it might be like three weeks before I pick up my camera again. And uh, I, I just really enjoy photography. It's, um, I, I've said it a lot before, uh, like in my YouTube videos and stuff like that. It's a, it's very therapeutic to me. So right. even, I don't know. I, I, I take a lot of bad photos, <laughs> you know, and, and that results in like, I, I take a lot of photos, which means, you know, I take a lot of bad photos. Uh, I take a lot of the same photos really. Um, you know, I'll do if it, like, if I'm not really feeling going out, you know, making anything that I feel like is worthwhile. Um, I still find myself, you know, just, walking around the neighborhood with my camera and, you know, making images and, you know, I'll, I'll shoot 36 photos on a, you know, like my range finder or something. And maybe I'll get one good photo out of that. And that, you know, that may be the one photo that kind of snaps me out of it. Like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll see something in that image that makes me, I don't know, kind of, you know, reignites the fire. Right. But I also, you know, also there's like, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, people, if you are kind of in a rut, like, you know, some people need to take a little time off and like, that's okay. I'm just, I'm just one of those people that I'm stubborn. So (laughs) I just, you know, I'm kind of hard on myself sometimes. And uh, I just, I just make myself work through it and, 
but it's always like, it's always a pretty cool feeling when you are in a rut and I'm going out, I'm still shooting. And then, you know, I'll shoot three or four rolls and it'll be just absolute garbage. But then there'll be that one photo that kind of brings me back around. I think probably the hardest thing for most people to do is to sort of self-evaluate and to self-judge. I think people are either way too harsh on themselves or they're, they're, they're maybe way too full of themselves and don't think that they're capable of doing anything wrong. Um, if I could ask you, what do you think your biggest strength is as a photographer and what is your worst habit? Oh man, my, my worst habit is, uh, probably what I was just saying. Um, I shoot a lot. (laughs) I'm a, I just, and I'm very fortunate to where I work in a film lab. So, you know, my costs as far as like shooting film are nowhere near as much as if I didn't have that job, mm-hmm. Switch, which results in me shooting a whole lot. And, you know, like I said, I, t- I take a lot of bad photos and I get some good ones every now and then. But yeah, I, w- I would probably say that's my biggest fault is a, and something I'm trying to work on too is just like not shooting just for the sake of shooting. I don't, I don't really know what my best, <laughs> I think, I guess like my best quality is just, uh, just learning. Um, I'm, I'm a total like nerd when it comes to it. Uh, I'm like constantly, my fiance like fusses at me all of the time because I'm constantly just looking at photography stuff or, you know, I'm reading something about, photography uh i just i i want to absorb as much as possible and uh Mm -hmm. i think i'd say that's probably my best like actual quality when it comes to uh being a photographer is yeah just trying to constantly learn and evolve and just yeah be be better and more confident in my work okay so my last question for you then um, and thank you so much for taking the time to do this. My last question for you would be, uh, in terms of like bucket list photography goals, things that are really high up ambitions that you really want to achieve. Um, what are yours? I would, I would say as much as I kind of despise the, uh, the fine art world, <laughs> I, I think, you know, I would just really love to have a solo a solo show in a like legit gallery. Mm-hmm. I put on, I've put on quite a few of my own, you know, at uh, other places uh, around town. And I, I've had some, or I've had some work shown in some curated um, shows at galleries, but yeah, I feel like putting out like a legit photo book through a publishing company and like just having a solo kind of show to go along with that. And like a actual gallery would be, I I just feel like that would be a very rewarding thing because um, mm-hmm. it's like I can plan them and put them on myself all day, but you know, for someone else to show that interest and show that like faith in your work um, and want to put it in their establishment, uh, I just think that's a pretty cool, rewarding feeling. Um, or I would assume Definitely. that's a pretty cool, rewarding feeling. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. The, the most important part of the podcast, the reason that I started it, the reason I continue to do it is that I want to push out as much good work as possible to as many people as possible. So where can everyone find your photography and find your YouTube work and so on? Um, so I'm pretty easy to find. Everything is at Zach Parks photo, um, YouTube, uh, 
Facebook, which I don't really do too much, but um, yeah, Instagram and YouTube are both just Zach Parks photo. And then uh, there's also the Restore from Backup account that I run with Jason and Han, um, the curated account. Uh, and yeah, that's really, I think that's it. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really do appreciate it. Dude, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Why is it hot on my own? I wish to be, I wish to be me